Well, one thing is probably pretty clear for most of us in 2022. Inflation means prices are up, our buying power is down, and that is perhaps the simplest way of summing up the year in economics. It's hard to imagine we started this year with interest rates at just a fraction above 0.25% to be exact. We end the year in a far different place. After seven consecutive Bank of Canada rate hikes, it's now at 4.25%. It's made borrowing more expensive. It jacks up the price of what is already owed, including on mortgages, people feeling the pinch of that. The goal, of course, is to drive down inflation. And we all know what that looked like this year. The price of so many things soared as inflation hit a 40-year high, all the way up to 8.1% in June, over the June before. Food costs went through the roof, up 10.3% in September alone compared to a year earlier. Canadians, of course, responded by cutting back on many things, including a quarter saying they're buying less food and almost a third of women saying the same. And that's really, I think, a dangerous threshold. So it means that people are changing their diets. They're making dietary compromises. That is Sylvain Charlebois, a frequent guest on the show. Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem admits it will be a tough stretch ahead to try to bring inflation under control after the bank was surprised by just how quickly prices started to rise this year. He gave a year-end speech in Vancouver uh, where he said that the bank underestimated how hard it would be to restore supply chains and that the overheated economy would make things worse, uh, saying the central bank is determined, though, to get inflation under control. The adjustment will not be easy. But restoring price stability is the most important thing we can do to improve the economic and financial well-being of Canadians. Macklem says it's hard to say by how much geopolitical trends could make it harder to maintain low inflation in the long term. Of course, there were a lot of politics involved here this year. The now leader of the opposition, while he was campaigning for leader of the uh, uh, Canadian or the CPC, Pierre Polyev, said that he would fire the Bank of Canada governor for all that's gone wrong over the past little while. The Bank of Canada governor has allowed himself to become the ATM machine of this government. And so I would replace him with a new governor who would reinstate our low inflation mandate, protect the purchasing power of our dollar. Pierre Polyev there, um, if it were only so simple, right? Still, so is this bitter interest rate pill really going to be the medicine the country needs when it comes to inflation? Will we see it actually start to come down? It is a complicated and global question. But to help us navigate it is a former Bank of Canada governor, Stephen Polos, who's now a special advisor at Osler's and author of The Next Age of Uncertainty. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome to the Year in Review. Well, thanks, Ben. Great to be here. There must be days this year where you woke up being happy not to be back in the Bank of Canada's governor's chair with all that's gone on. But uh, I mean, clearly, inflation interest rates have been the big story of the year. Did we wait too long to recognize where inflation was going? Uh, looking back on it, uh, yes, maybe we, we could say that. But of course, that's not the same as looking at it in real time. So I wouldn't be critical of that. I think uh, the big thing that changed the picture was the invasion of Ukraine by Putin. You know, everything was going very much according to plan up until that point. Inflation had overshot just a little bit to kind of remind us that the economy was back in good shape. But when you layered on those commodity price rises based on that invasion, that's what really got us into making inflation, you know, topic number one for this year. 
Yeah, I imagine we've seen sort of the perfect storm because there's still the hangover of supply chain issues then combined with the invasion at the same time. So lots of external influences going on. Well, that's right. So the external influences are all truly transitory things, but they can become longer lasting to the extent that they commingle with the basic domestic demand pressures, which we're just beginning to get there uh, around the turn of the year. So if the invasion had not happened and the supply chain issues had, had proceeded as they actually did, then I think inflation might have peaked out maybe at around 4%, maybe a little less. And uh, that would have made a big difference to the conversation this year. So we have to think about the whole new environment in which we're, we're trying to manage these risks. I think it's all, all been, done, been done as well as can be expected, given that that table was reset for us. There's been an awful lot of talk about uh, who is to blame. I mean, the the politics always get involved when it comes to economics. Uh, mm-hmm. Talks of, you know, printing money, just inflation is a word that's used in, in the political sphere. Uh, I, I gather it, it it added a bit to it, but uh, but what was done during the pandemic doesn't seem to have added a whole lot to it. No, what was done during the pandemic was, to be frank, the best case of macroeconomic stabilization policies that I've ever seen particularly fiscal policy. And I don't mean just in Canada, but in many countries. Back two or three years ago, we never would have guessed that fiscal policy would rise to the occasion as efficiently as it did and offset the worst part of the damage to people. People forget that, uh, that economists were pretty universal in predicting the worst experience since the, the Great Depression in the 1930s. And none of that transpired because policy was so effective. And what that means then is that we get closer to the place where everything's back in balance way faster than anybody imagined. And with that momentum, then the economy clearly was heading into an inflationary risk zone for low inflation, but higher than targeted by the end of 2020. And so once we got there, then we had the invasion of of Ukraine, which kind of put that extra pulse through. And that's what brought us into the actual danger zone. So, I I mean, I I think uh, some of this is a little bit unfair. I mean, people forget just how dire the situation was in early 2020 and how much pain and suffering was avoided through those policies that today you might say, oh, that was a little too aggressive. Possibly. It may have been kept on too long. Possibly. But in the time, it was impossible to make that judgment. Speaking of that um, battle between too little and too much, uh, the interest rate hikes we've seen this year, seven. We It's hard to imagine we started the year at a 0.25%. Here mm-hmm. we are above four. What do you make of how the Bank of Canada has proceeded with the pace of those hikes? And is it working? The question of the the speed or the urgency, you can see this across all central banks. And as I said, the concern was that the exogenous or the external pulse from uh, to inflation coming from the, the invasion of Ukraine would, could get commingled with domestic inflation and become part of expectations. And then it could become very long lasting instead of transitory as it always ought to have been. And so that's the reason for uh, being more urgent about it. Uh, Otherwise, it could have been much more gradual. Is it having its effect? It clearly is. Uh, In fact, as soon as the second quarter, it was clear, like within two months of the beginning, we could see the signs of it happening in the housing market. 
The other thing that we can see is that the rise in oil and food prices uh, in the wake of uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine took a lot of money out of our pockets. And what that meant was when you went to the store on your weekly trip, your budget was constrained by the fact you filled the gas tank before you went there. Uh, what that does is it reduces spending across the entire economy right away. Whereas with interest rates, we kind of look for a lagged effect. It will take a while for mortgages to come up for renewal or for the interest rates to pass through. And all that kind of thing can take 18 months or longer to have its full effect. The effect of reducing your purchasing power, it happens right away and across the whole thing. You saw Walmart put out its results. Walmart says there's less in every shopping cart. Well, uh, how are they going to tackle that? It's less than every shopping cart because you filled your gas tank before you went to Walmart. And what they want to do is crush prices lower to cause disinflation. And that's where disinflation will come from. What's interesting about all this this year is that, of course, if you look at the unemployment numbers, they're still low. If you look at the economy, it's doing well. So it feels like we're in, in kind of a dual narrative right now when it comes to high interest rates and high inflation, but also low unemployment and an economy that's uh, churning along fairly well. Yeah, that, that's why I think a better metaphor for what we're going through is more like uh, you're in an airplane and the pilot kind of got distracted for a minute and for some reason rose all the way to 40,000 feet. And his flight plan is for 35,000 feet. So now the idea is to do an altitude adjustment, get the plane back down to 35,000 feet so that it's smoother running too much turbulence up at 40,000 feet. And we that's kind of what the economy's been like. Well, getting it down to 35,000 feet could be a very simple engineering exercise, or we could overcorrect and we could go down to 30,000 feet before we then come back up to 35,000 feet. But either way, we're still flying. The economy is in good shape. It's very strong. So we're not talking about a case where we have to have a hard landing or a soft landing or any kind of landing. It's just an altitude adjustment. And that should not be painful at all unless something else comes along to throw us off course. So I'm pretty confident that uh, this is going to be easier than most people think, that inflation is going to be falling faster than expected all through 2023. And that relief is going to go through all of our financial markets. In my opinion, the cryptocurrency industry represents the largest Ponzi scheme in history. In fact, by the time the dust settles, crypto may well represent a fraud at least 10 times bigger than Madoff. Stephen Polaz is with us this half hour, the former Bank of Canada governor in our year in review 2022, focusing on the economy. Uh, you do see some some storm clouds on the horizon. The Canadian dollar has stayed low this year, which is not, you know, following the invasion of Ukraine, one would have, would have thought as oil prices around the world uh, went way up fast that the Canadian dollar would follow suit. It hasn't. And you see some longer term issues uh, surrounding that as well. Well, that's true. Uh, normally, we would have seen the Canadian dollar go at least to 90 cents, perhaps above during the uh, initial weeks or months of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I think uh, what that speaks to is that we've had, normally, we would have a follow through from high oil prices to increased investment in our energy sector, and then increased production, shipping, and of course, increased Canadian wealth. That's symptomatic uh, of, a, of a strong a strong situation that would give us a stronger Canadian dollar. Most of that didn't happen. In fact, the Canadian dollar went down 
during that period. So normally what would happen, the dollar would go up to 90 cents and our inflation rate would not have gone up nearly as much as it actually did. Uh, the peak would have been far lower and it would have been a shorter peak. Fact is, it didn't go up, and it didn't go up because the investment follow-through in the energy sector hasn't been there. It really hasn't been there since prices went down in 2015. And more to the point, in recent years, there's been much more uncertainty around what the future is of the energy sector. Does it need to go to zero immediately in order to achieve net zero? Or does it get to stay in business and continue to be a major contributor as other things you know, uh, give us net zero uh, throughout the world. I prefer the, the latter interpretation, but there's enough uncertainty that investment is not following through. And so that's one of the things we can look forward to if things become less uncertain uh, in that sector of the economy as we go forward, then we could see some upside to the Canadian dollar in 2023. You've also mentioned, um, this is something that uh, can be a bit nebulous, but productivity, the OECD report out showed Canada's productivity quite low. It continues to be a concern. Uh, that's clearly something that didn't improve in 2022 or something that we continue to have to look at in 2022 as we look ahead to the economy in future years. Well, that's correct. Uh, we have been roughly second last in the OECD in productivity performance. And this connects to the point we just made about uh, investment in the energy sector, but also connects more broadly to low rates of investment throughout the Canadian economy. And that's been true, actually, since around 2015 also. And one of the things I point to here is that 2015 was when candidate Trump came along and said he would tear up NAFTA if he had the chance. And of course, as we know, when he came to office, he literally did tear up NAFTA. And so for four years after that, we had a very high level of uncertainty. Canadian companies weren't just avoiding invest, new investment. They were literally investing in the United States instead of in Canada in order that they could qualify for Buy America if NAFTA completely evaporated. Now, in the end, we, 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 got, we got NAFTA restored as Kuzma or USMCA. Well, that's fine. But the uncertainty lingers, and we have not done much to try to, to suppress that. And of course, in a broader sense, the future of trade is being called into question on many fronts now because of this deglobalization trend, geopolitical stress more generally. And so in a trade-dependent de economy like ours, we're not going to get high, high rates of productivity unless we get some daylight around that, and then we invest around that story. Uh, well, that's why it's laid out as a, an urgent priority for the government to promote investment in Canada in, in its fall economic statement. Uh, that, that for sure is very important. Have we created the proper conditions, though? I mean, even over the past year, I know there's been emphasis on it, but is, is the federal government through its fiscal policy and other and through its regulatory frameworks creating an atmosphere where investors feel secure in investing in Canada right now, or does a lot more need to be done? I would say we are not. We don't have clarity, really, uh, when it comes to major investments around, um, you know, permitting or consultation needs. Uh, you know, you could invest years in a project and discover that it just doesn't happen. And so uh, there's a reluctance to engage around those things without more clarity or streamlining of the processes. It's as if we don't appreciate that in, in the real world, in business, Time is money. By the way, time is productivity. If you take five years to do something instead of two years to do something, that's three years of lost productivity, and you can never get that time back, ever. 
And so we have clearly missed a lot of productivity in the last few years, and we will continue to miss out on it unless we make that environment for investment, not just foreign investment, for domestic investment at the same time, unless we make that environment friendlier, more level playing field, we've got to make sure meeting those kinds of challenges, we have to be faster because business won't sit still for us. Speaking of things that have moved very quickly, this year has been quite the year for crypto. Um, mm. I know you don't like to use the word currency because it's not, uh, right. but it has been quite the year for crypto. Not unexpected for the doubters as you've been, uh, but what's gone on and, and uh, is there any way back you think, or was this, was this the bubble and it's burst? Um, there was always a question mark around what the true value proposition was. Technologically, it's marvelous. And that technology, the underlying uh, distributed ledger technology is being applied in many areas of the economy, both financial and real. And so that's true genius. And uh, that, I think, is, is, is a permanent part uh, of our landscape. But the currency itself always was dubious uh, in, its, uh, in its value, just because it had no intrinsic value and therefore would eventually go to zero unless some, somebody else decided they wanted to buy it. You know, the old greater fool theory. I think it is collapsing under the weight of uncertainties or the lack of transparency around some of these and the exchanges associated with them. Uh, that's unfortunate because really there's a lot of genius in these new payments mechanisms. So we want to be able to promote those without them becoming fads that cause people to lose significant amounts of money. And that's the balance, which is hard to strike. I'm sure we'll come out with a better balance. We are headed for a real-time settlement in our normal payment system at the retail level. That means, in other words, instead of waiting overnight for your transaction with your buddy to clear through the bank, it's happening instantly by sometime next year. That really does take a lot of the value away from these alternative payments mechanisms. So people will have to establish their value proposition independently, and some of these things will fly. I'm sure of it. Uh, some of the innovation is fabulous to see. It just won't be, I think, Bitcoin, unless you're into holding people's data for ransom or that kind of thing. That's where that currency seems to have its biggest role. Stephen Palos, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Ben.